0: Welcome to Introducing Me. I'm your host, Sarah. I started this podcast to get to know other people and lifestyles while discovering more about myself. Each episode, I will give a new guest a chance to discuss their background, culture, interests, whatever they want to talk about to help increase all of our own worldviews. Today, I would like to introduce you to Scott Stewart. He is a children's book author who is committed to creating content that empowers young kids. His most recent published book is called My Shadow is Purple. He is also a father. He is Australian. I'm just talking to him for a few minutes, I'm grateful that he is here today. So thank you so much, Scott. Why don't you tell the audience a little bit more about yourself?
1: Hey, you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh yeah. So I am a uh, I'm a children's book author. I'm a chocolate eater more than any other kind of food. Uh, much to the you know, chagrin of my wife because my son is now becoming that too. Uh, and, you know, I'm just somebody who is extraordinarily passionate about breaking down gender stereotypes. Uh, and the reason for that is my son is a young boy who, uh, who likes things that we have traditionally deemed uh, culturally feminine, you know? And uh, so I have put a lot of work into uh, educating and dismantling gender stereotypes for kids um, allowing them to be exactly who they are and some of that creeps into some of my books uh, but some of my books are also just a whole lot of fun too so yeah i'm excited to be
0: here great thank you so your passion for you know kind of breaking down stereotypes and working through all of this was any of that part of your life before you had your son
1: It's really, really funny because I was catching up with my mum recently and uh, she showed me this cookbook from when I was a kid and the cookbook was, you know, Baking Cakes for Boys and Girls. Sorry, weird title, but, you know, uh, and it was split in half. So the first half of the book was Baking Cakes for Boys and the second half was Baking Cakes for Girls. Um, And... On the title page for Baking Cakes for Boys, I, as this little like seven year old kid had written, and for girls, you know, and I'd done the same on the second half, you know, but I grew up in an environment with extraordinarily rigid definitions of masculinity. Um, My dad is, uh, you know, Really, like I, I love my dad. You, but he also grew up in uh, an era and location here in Australia that really lent him to having very what we would term, you, toxic views around masculinity. The words I love you were very rarely said. You know, I never saw him cry. Um, I never saw him really express emotions or talk, really, you know. Um, And it was only recently that we have kind of found our uh, relationship as adults. Uh, But growing up around that, there wasn't much space uh, for a young man. Growing up in that to express himself outside of a very narrow uh, pathway, and fortunately for me, I was a dude who uh, I really thrived in inside that narrow pathway. You know, um, I was a dude who was really great at sports. Um, I was creative. I was good at school. Um, uh, I you know made friends easily. Um, you, know, every, you know, I was athletic. Um, you know, I enjoyed drinking and going out with the boys, and you know all that sort of stuff. That's very like just the, the you know stereotypically dudes. I I really enjoyed all of that. Um, and then uh, and so I I was thriving in that environment, but there were parts of myself that I was abandoning you know, to thrive in that environment. You know, I'm an author. Since I was eight years old, I wanted to be an author. You know, I love writing, I love creating stories. Um, that's not really what guys do in the environment that I was brought up in, you know? Um, despite the fact that, you know, at least half of all the most best-selling authors of all time are men, you know, it was still like, well, you know, What else are you going to do? You know, uh, everything was, you know, kind of revolving around, I'm either going to be a professional athlete as long as it is in a couple of predefined acceptable athletic endeavors. Um, or I'm going to work in finance and make billions of dollars. You know, those were, those were acceptable scenarios. There's also, I could work on a farm. Like that was okay. Um, I couldn't be a florist. You know, you know, it was just, There were limited paths that were socially acceptable in the environment I grew up. Um, And so I felt I was kind of sacrificing things that I really loved to fit in. And yet, because I was thriving to a point, you know, things were great to a point, uh, I didn't need to challenge that too much. Um, And then my son was born and I remember, the the night he was born or the day he was born uh i wasn't allowed to stay in the hospital like i was kicked out to go home which is his own story but you know i uh i had to go home for the night while my wife and my son were in hospital and uh i was just kind of remembering being this kid who wanted to write books you know and wanted to be creative and express myself in those ways and I thought, well, now there's a little bit of an excuse, you know, because wouldn't it be cool if my son grew up and there was, I mean, not a very good book, but there was a book in the world that he was written written about him. Wouldn't that be cool, you know? And so it just kind of got me over the edge of that, you know. Well, I shouldn't be, like, guys aren't creative, but you know, let's it got me over that little hump, you know. Um, and so I wrote my first book, a, a terrible book. You know? <laughs> it was not that great, you know. But I loved, loved, loved doing it. Uh, I loved the process of it. It was everything I had ever wanted. Um, And I said to my wife, you know, man, if I never sell a book, that's okay. Because I just love doing this, you know. And so I kept writing. And then my son, as he got to about three or four years old, he started to fall in love with characters who uh feminine you know he fell in love with queen elsa you know, he fell in love with scarlet overkill from minions uh, he fell in love with you know, all these things that we have culturally deemed feminine and started to experience like firsthand the prejudice against that um and so yeah, it wasn't a huge part of my life beforehand, except that I had gone as vanilla as possible into this, you know, these two in between these two lines, um, even though I was yearning to go outside of those. Um, but when my son was born and when he really started to express himself in that way, it allowed me to find my own voice, you know, outside of gender stereotypes. This is a ridiculous, ridiculous example but I was just at Disneyland a few days ago. And uh, firstly, I get motion sickness, so I don't really do roller coasters, but I was on a roller coaster. Um, and it sounds so stupid, you know, but I have always grown up with this idea that men shouldn't make noise on roller coasters. Like, we shouldn't like, ah, you know, we shouldn't do any of that. But since I have had these years with my son and, you know, teaching him how to fully accept himself, and it's really started to allow me to do the same things. And so I was at Disneyland and we were on this ride and I was like, ah, you know, and I was having the time of my life, you know. But it's just like, it's such a ridiculous, tiny example, but these things like bleed over into everything from really, really small things like that into really big things like pursuing a career in something that I was always taught was not for men.
0: And it's great that you have had that opportunity like because of your son, like it's not, you know, you kind of needed that help. And at the same time you're helping him. So, yeah. were you doing something super quote unquote masculine before becoming a children's author?
1: <laughs> I mean, I, I wasn't in the UFC, um, you know. But I uh, no, so I my first career when I left school uh, was in finance. Um, you know, I was unable to be the professional like football player um even though i later became a professional dancer which is you know not quite in the 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 masculine realm that i was brought up with uh but uh i knew that i wanted to go into finance like men make money you know so that's where i wanted to go uh i generously say it was day two but it was really about hour two that i realized that i hate that career you know, I absolutely hated everything about it. I hated, like, just how grey everything was. I hated how boring the whole thing was. It was, was not for me. And kudos to people who love it. I am not that person. Um, and, but I stuck with it for, you know, six months, nine months, maybe a year. Um, and cause I was like, you know, this is the thing, you know, i got to do this. Um, until one day I had to design a little flyer for like a mortgage broken client. And I just loved doing that. I had the greatest time ever. And so I quit, I went to art school and I have been a designer slash artist, you know, pretty much my entire adult career for what 18 years or something so um, i started in graphic design and you know even up until i you know stopped to become a full-time author i had was still working in graphic design but have been in everything from toy design to web design to (sighs) etc design you know um so i mean it's probably not the most like stereotypical masculine career but i was very proud and happy that I was able to kind of abandon that just for something I loved yeah
0: and did you ever have any kickback from your parents either when you switched to design or when your son started to become more interested in feminine things
1: yes yeah, so uh definitely when my son was starting to uh you know, take the leap from owning an Elsa figurine to wearing an Elsa costume, you know, when he wanted to wear those dresses and sparkly things. And, uh, and you know, my two parents, my mom and my dad, and my, my dad is this, you know, as I said before, very conservative, you know, grew up on a massive sheep station, like a ranch, I guess, in American terms. Um, you know, my mom is a very progressive, you know, always been a strong feminist, um, uh, you know, very accepting kind of person. And so when he started to wear those kinds of things, I had zero, like, I had zero qualms about introducing him to my mom in that sense, like introducing that part of him to my mom. Uh, and I thought there would never be any problems there because my mum's super progressive and you know all the all that. Well, my mum is also somebody who grew up being, um, grew up around a lot of fear. You know, like she was born just after World War II You know, and her parents like kind of raised her in this like web of fear. You know, she is somebody who refuses tattoos, not because she doesn't like tattoos, You know, because what if one day there is a genocidal maniac who come, comes into power and tattoos are the way they decide who's going to live or die? You know? So it's like, it's, I don't understand it. But anyway, you know, and so when I introduced my son uh, in that form to my mom, uh, what I was expecting was just acceptance and happiness and love and joy. Uh, what I got instead was every fear you could imagine. It was, well, what if he gets bullied? You know, I'm like, we're just literally here in your house. Like who, who's going to build bullying, you? you know? Uh, what if he, uh, you know, what if he starts thinking he's a girl? What if you can what if you as parents confuse him and his gender or his sexuality or all those things? you know and so it became a very big problem in our family um which was only really resolved when uh I took my mum aside and I had to have a really strong filled with boundaries conversation where I said to her, if you cannot accept him for whoever he is, you cannot be in his life at all. You know? And now she's one of his biggest supporters. You know? uh, but going to my dad, um, I was unbelievably nervous about you know, introducing this side of my son to him. Uh, I was like, this is, you know, I remember sitting on a train with my dad and a man who was wearing an earring, Got into the the train carriage, and my dad elbowed me and said, "Check this bloke out! Like, he's <laughs> got an earring on." You know so like, let alone you know, my son wearing a dress, you know. Um, and so my my dad lives in another state, and I knew when we were going to visit him, and I'd just been building this thing up in my head for months. You know, and even walking to his front door, I was just running through every scenario in my head. I was running through like everything that he would say and every response I would have to say, and all the boundaries I had to place, and the drama that was going to ensue, and everything. Uh, we opened the door, and my dad, you know, looks at my son and goes, "Hey, buddy, nice dress." And that was it. And I was like, <laughs> "Yeah, you know, amazing." But also I've just been like, this was so much bigger in my head. Um, So, yeah, so we definitely experienced, you know, those kinds of both unexpected acceptance and unexpected prejudice um, and prejudice that's kind of wrapped in the guise of love. You know, I love you, so I'm just concerned, you know, you might get bullied so abandon who you are just in case that happens you know i love you and i'm just trying to protect you you know, and i don't want you to be confused so give up on anything you love just to make sure that doesn't happen you know Uh, so we definitely got a lot of that fear-based love in quotation marks um and then from friends you know an extended family you know, everything from pure acceptance and love to the absolute opposite of that uh, and it's been a uh, eye-opening um, experience seeing just how strongly held some of these uh, very outdated opinions are
0: <laughs> um. And did you, like yourself, when things started to sort of change, ever feel like any of those fears yourself or any, like, back into the mindset of when you were younger and kind of that masculinity that you grew up on? Did you feel yourself ever projecting that or worrying?
1: I... Talk about this a lot. In that, I would love to sit here and say, you know, my son looked at me and said, "Hey, can I get an Elsa dress?" And I was like, "Of course, you know, uh, that sounds amazing." And we went there on a on a the uh, you know, rainbow road, and all was joy and happiness. You know, that was not the case. Uh, my son asked me if he could get an Elsa costume, which was a dress, um, and i said yes but i was deeply uncomfortable Um, and i was uncomfortable because of that upbringing i had you know and i thought i was a very accepting person i thought i was uh very progressive i thought that you know i didn't hold any of these prejudices um but when my son wanted to do that suddenly it was all wrapped in these fears it was wrapped in not just the fears of what if he gets bullied what if he uh you know what if this is um you know showing that he is actually you know a different gender or you know um but it also started to throw fears around well how am i going to be perceived as a dad you know to all my male friends you know How am I going to be perceived as a man, you know? um, And I would love to say that the concerns for my son were at the forefront. But in reality, I don't think they were. I think I was more concerned about the judgment on myself. I think I was more concerned uh, of... The things that my friends and random strangers might say to me, you know, than I was about, you know, the, um, any prejudice my son may face. And uh, so he asked, said yes, deeply uncomfortable. And the only reason I said yes was because um, my wife and I, when he was first born, you know, we had been smart enough to sit down and have a conversation about, well, what... You know, there's a lot that we cannot control in his life and a lot of influence that we can't control, but there is some. And what would we, like if we could instill any belief or anything into him, what are the things that we'd really want to instill in him? And like the number one thing from both of us was we want him to be completely free to just be himself whoever that is. And it's our job as parents to recognize that spark and just like blow on that flame as much as possible. Um, And so in that moment, you know, I had these conflicting things going into my head. I had this discomfort because of the conditioning that had been placed on me, like my entire life. But I also had this conscious decision uh, that I want my son to grow up being free to be exactly as himself, feeling loved instead of judged, you, know, and to be able to explore you know, freely. Um, and so said yes and immediately just started to recognize all this joy in him, you, know, because of that decision. Uh, and not just that, but started to recognise this deepening of connection between us, um, and this deepening of trust between us. Um, you know, because there, there's really only two way, two things that happen when your know, your son or your child you know, is expressing themselves. If you say yes, like they realise that you are a safe person. For them to express themselves to, or you say no when they realize that you are not, you know. Um, And so, you know, that trust and that that connection just deepened. Um, And as soon as those things started to happen, you know, all those fears and discomfort started to feel a lot less important. Um, And we have just been having the greatest and happiest time ever since.
0: And how old is your son?
1: Uh, my son is nine now. Yeah.
0: So is he still able to like freely express himself outside of home? Yes.
1: Yes. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, every person's journey is totally different. My, my son was, totally in love with Elsa and like all the the princesses and things like that and would wear dresses like all the time. Uh now it's a lot less, you know, but like we were just at Disneyland and he wanted to go costume shopping for the latest Elsa costume to wear at Disneyland and you know, so um he has complete freedom to express himself outside of the house. Um he uh we've always been extremely realistic with him around um, uh, possible negative things that can happen. And when I say realistic, that's often kind of framed as, yeah you can wear that but you hear the things that might happen and it's real it's not being realistic it's really just like trying to convince them not to do the thing uh instead we've tried to have a very neutral approach like here's some great things here's some bad things what would you like to do um and uh he has consistently chosen to just do the things that he really loves um and that's in a lot of small ways like he was taking dance classes and he's literally the only boy student there you know um and that had its own dramas because like a bunch of the girls were just ridiculous but anyway um and um like you know there are times that he wants to wear you know um an Elsa or a princess dress. There are times he want we, we dress up as Batman. You know, there are times that he wears a My Little Pony shirt. There are times that he wears like a Lego shirt. You know, he is completely free to have any interest uh, that he may have, and he knows that, and he leans into it. You know, and he has an extraordinarily diverse set of uh, of interests.
0: And it's great to hear that. You know, he's now nine, you know, he's in school, he's able to, you know, express himself and, you know, have that freedom. Now, you mentioned when you first started writing the children's books, you wanted to have a story, you know, for your son to, you know, represent him in a book. And you now have multiple books. You've got millions of readers. Do you want to share a little bit about what your authoring journey has been like?
1: Yeah, so... um so I, we don't need to talk much about that first terrible book that I wrote. Uh, you know, cause I ended up, you know, self publishing it and it sold three copies. I'm pretty sure my mum bought two of those. Um, you know, but, you know, once I, you know, really started to, uh, create books that I thought, not necessarily needed to be in the world, but might leave the world a better place from having them in it. Um, that's when I really started to see some form of success. Um, my first book that really gained attention was a book called My Shadow is Pink, which is about a young boy who's born with a pink shadow, despite his whole family having blue shadows. Um, and it's this kind of story of acceptance and loving yourself as you are. Um, and when I wrote that story, uh, I tried to get a traditional publisher on board, and I had enormous difficulty. Uh, I was, you know, every author gets a billion rejections, you know, so that's not out of the not out of the ordinary. Uh, but the reasons that it was being rejected were quite harsh, you know. Nobody wants to read a book about a boy in a dress. You know, nobody's going to read that kind of thing, you know. Um, and so I was fairly committed to self-publishing again. Uh, by that time, I'd already self-published two books. Uh, one of which, um, alone, which is a story about Planet Earth waking up in the darkness of space, looking for a friend. Um, you know, I'd already self-published that. It had gone really, really well. It'd been a bestseller on um, on Amazon. Not that that you know is a huge thing, but it, it had done quite well. It had sold you know a lot of copies, um, and. Uh, so when uh, I was trying to get this book um, published and then decided to self-publish, I'd written another one which I thought maybe that one could you know, get published and I'd been going through the process of trying to find an agent and trying to find a publisher and we had just kind of hit that moment where I had signed on with an agent um, and this, the book that I was pitching was what ultimately became the book How to Be a Real Man, which I didn't title it that way. My publisher's titled that. I would never aud- be so audacious to name a book that, but, you yeah, know, that's what it was called. Um, and, um, you know, at, at, at some point uh, I met another publisher randomly very randomly. Uh, and uh, they said, you know, can you send us a couple of things? And I sent them a book I had written, another book I had written. Not particularly a fantastic book, you know, but just another book. Uh, and as a last minute attachment to that email, I said, Oh, and I've also written this book called My Shadows Pink 2. Let me know what you think. I hadn't even shown this book to my agent. Like I was just like, I'm gonna nobody wants this. I'm gonna self-publish it. Uh, and they replied six minutes later and said, Yeah, that other book is whatever, but this my shadow book. Let's talk about that, you know. Um, and so that got signed. Uh, it was um ultimately the the second, the, the first traditionally published book that came out, even though it was my second signed book. Like you know, the timing was all kind of weird and gnarly, you. Know. Uh, but once that came out, it's uh, just got a lot of attention and it got a lot of love and not so much love. Um, you know, and uh, I was just very fortunate that it uh, reached a really large audience around the world. I think it's been over 20 translations or something it's you know many many countries um and I mean, it's had like stage production you know done of it and all sorts of stuff and that kind of gave me an opportunity to pursue this thing called being an author uh and uh because i have a billion books in my head um, and a billion books, half written and fully written. And suddenly I was able to get an email returned by a publisher um, because of the success of that book. And I wholeheartedly sent out as many as I could, you know, to keep that thing going. And I am very fortunate to be able to be a full-time author now, so.
0: So what is the day-to-day like being a full-time author?
1: procrastination yeah yeah, no it's look i i absolutely love it so i am a full-time author but there's also this whole marketing thing that has to go along with that and your large part of that is social media i'm a creator on you know a couple of platforms um and you know there's a lot of work that goes into that that i always thought yeah so you just speak at a camera for 10 minutes and move on with your day it's hours of work every day you know, which i did not realize um but yeah so uh my day-to-day is i have a i have an enormous backlog of projects that i'm working on an enormous backlog uh and i am writing very hard i, I uh, generally around 5am i get up and i start working on a few things then i do like school drop off and all that sort of stuff uh, then i work through till uh, school pickup and that's either illustrating or writing uh, and you know, everybody's authorship you know, thing is different you know, i write longhand on paper which is ridiculous it takes forever um but it it works for me you know, because it makes me slow down my brain a little bit and actually think about what i'm writing um and you know then i do school pickup and at that point um i get an extra hour or two of work um there's many many interviews like this um especially around the time a book launches um if there's a book launch within Two months. Uh, it's just every day you're on interviews or podcasts or Instagram lives or you're going to bookstores or schools or um I do a lot of like talks and readings and speeches at schools. Um so it is uh I, I kind of always had this idea that being an author would be pretty chilled out life, <laughs> you know, where you know, you just inspiration strikes you like a lightning bolt then you write the book for a couple of days because writing a book can't take more than a couple of days surely um and uh then you just get to chill out you know watch netflix or whatever uh it turns out it's unbelievably busy and writing a book takes a fair bit longer than a couple of days um and uh yeah i am just working harder than i think i have ever worked in my life but I am loving absolutely every second of it, except the bits I don't like.
0: So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, you started the answer with procrastination.
1: <laughs> yes, that's right.
0: <laughs>
1: yeah, there's a bit of that in there, too.
0: Mm-hmm. So I would be uh, remiss to ask you what life is like in Australia. And you've yes. al- obviously like left Australia. You were just in Disneyland. So can you share a little bit um about living in Australia, kind of, you know, places you've been and stuff like that.
1: So my wife is American. She was born in Argentina, but she moved to America when she was about five or six. Um, so she kind of says she's American. Um, and so when we were first together, you know, we uh, did like six months a year here, six months a year there, you know. Um, so and that was not at a time. It was like a week you know, at a time. It was very many, many flights. Um you know, so we have spent a lot of time in America, a lot of time here, a lot of time kind of around the world. We used to travel um, for a living uh, as, you know, my wife is a professional dancer. I was less professional, but still a professional dancer with her. Um, you know, And, um, you know, we spend most of our time here in Australia. We had started to really look at holidays and travel and all those sorts of things in 2020 and that obviously changed you know, through a couple of external factors uh, and um and we've just really started really looking at that now um now that i uh am fortunate enough to have you know, a uh, my books out kind of globally um when we're in america we can kind of go to bookstores and do some signings and things like that uh and my wife you know works for a company where they do you know, some international travel as well uh, but yeah Australia I I Australia is the best I love Australia um, it is uh, in some ways a very ambitious country and in other ways an extraordinarily chilled out country and it kind of ends in it ends up in this kind of uh, interesting yet beautiful middle ground uh, it's a country with a lot of Progressive values underlined with a t- whole ton of conservative values, um, which uh, I like some of that and do not like some of that. Um, very similar to America, you know. Um, and it's a place where you, know, I've had you know my books uh, that have kind of talked about gender stereotypes, like my shadow is pink and my shadow is purple. They've been you know widely accepted here and also widely criticised. Um, so exactly the same as america um but the food portions are smaller here uh there's less sugar and less um you know oil and stuff in our food uh so i we were at disneyland we were in america for a couple of weeks just gotten back and been almost having nothing but green smoothies since because i'm just trying to like recalibrate my body um But no, it's a really, it's a really great place. You know, we lived down next to the beach, uh, for a long time during lockdown. Um, and we had always assumed that, you know, we always had wanted to go and live next to the beach. Uh, we assumed like everybody wants to go live next to the beach, surely. Um, we lived there for two weeks and we realized, oh, we're not living at the beach people, you know. Um, and so we kind of had to figure out our move back to the city. Um, but it is a, uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say about Australia. I really, I really love it. Uh, my wife loves most of it. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, my son is at least, you know, the thing that uh, really made the decision, because we had to have that conversation at the start, where are we going to live uh, we, when our son was born? You know, are we going to raise him? in america or are we going to raise him here or are we going to kind of do a hybrid kind of combination of both uh it was right around the time of like sandy hook um massacre and stuff like that and uh we both just had this very immediate um i never want to think about that you know and i never want to worry about that happening you know to our son and uh we're fortunate that that's not really a thing here in australia um we have very strict gun laws um so uh, there's always a possibility of anything uh but it isn't happening which is good um so uh yeah that's that was kind of our main reason for being here and we've just kind of loved it you know ever since
0: yeah and i mean you know it's a good thing to love where you live um mm-hmm. do you have any like good tricks of when flying from Australia into the states and like dealing with the time zones, dealing with the very long plane rides, like what's the secret?
1: <laughs> yeah, everybody says it's like ridiculously long, and I it's I know it's like sixteen hours or something. You know, it's it's not that bad. Like you sit on the plane, you watch Titanic, you you cry, you have a sleep. Um, you, maybe you watch two more movies and you're there, pretty much. You know, um, so it's 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 not too bad. Uh. But yeah, yeah, I mean, I guess some, some, some things like we, most of the flights, uh, land in the morning over there. And so we are very eager to stay awake the whole time. Like our son fell asleep in the restaurant, like the first night we were there because we were trying to like, let's get him onto your American time uh it's never really successful like we just got back a couple of days ago and i am just dying from exhaustion right now um but (laughs) yeah it's um I, i don't know there's so many differences so many differences like uh even crossing a street you know we have a sound that tells you when the light turns green or turns white in america um and, uh, you know, and you don't have that in the States. So everybody kind of stands there just waiting and it's turned and nobody notices for 10 seconds. And then they cross the road here. You have this <laughs> telling you that you can cross the road now. Um, you know, and, um, yeah, I don't know tips. I mean, there's, there's a million, there's a million, but because there's so many, I just can't think of any.
0: <laughs> Is there anything else that you would like to share with the listeners before I start to wrap things up?
1: Um, that is a really challenging, but good, very open-ended question. Um, look, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, definitely a lot of the things that I have, uh, done and spoken about around like gender stereotypes and things like that in parenting, um, there is obviously because, who knows why but there's a lot of you know often a lot of pushback and uh, a lot of that pushback is very performative um, a lot of it is you're know, based around what people are going to think about you and what people are going to how people are going to perceive you and always love just to say you know, just try some of these things on just try some acceptance just try s- like exploring you know, outside of really standard roles and stuff just try exploring that just inside your own house where nobody can see you you just see what it feels like like maybe you're like me and you the extraordinarily rigid gender stereotypes don't really work all that well um but if i had to do that out in public with everybody seeing me i don't think i'd ever you have known that because it's too scary out there you know um So just like find some safe spaces to explore and, you know, allow the people in your life to do the same. And I think everybody will be enormously happy. Yeah. Or at least happier.
0: Yes. Yes. I think that's some great advice. Now, have you ever joined your son in wearing a dress?
1: Yes. Many times. Uh, you know, Our first really big uh, thing on social media was um, uh, my son and I dressed up as Elsa to go to the Frozen 2 cinema movie premiere. Um, and you know, I was, I've never really been somebody who wants to put myself out there on socials all that much. Um, and I really didn't want to put you my son out there on socials either Um, and then uh, my wife said to me she said you know uh, Scott there are probably a whole lot of young boys out there in the world who are not being accepted by their parents and it'd be really healing for them to see a man accepting their son breaking gender stereotypes so when you put it like that I mean (laughs) I guess I should, you know, and so we had uh, enormous, enormous conversations with my son around it and we still do um, anything that he is involved in, in a post or anything, we have a lot of conversation with him beforehand Um, and he can say no to absolutely anything and he does very often, there's often things where I'm like, man, this post would go really, really well and he's like, nope, don't want that ad, I'm like, okay, you know, but but uh, so we had those conversations and we put this thing out there about us wearing the dresses together to see the Frozen 2 movie. And, um, yeah, so I woke up the next day and there was like millions and millions of you know, views on it and stuff. And you know, that was really our first introduction to a larger social media world um but yes i uh, this halloween we are the sanderson sisters for halloween from hocus pocus um that is our costume at least for now it might change but for right now we have got our sanderson sisters outfits ready to rock um and there has been many a st- very stretched elsa costume uh, worn by me over the last few years <laughs>
0: It's great to hear that you have, you know, kind of gone out of that comfort zone and done that. And also to hear how much you check with your son before you're putting things on social media. I think that's something that sometimes the lines get really blurry and we don't know, like, what's good and what's not.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, there is a part of your child's life which is really about you and your parenting. Um, But there's also parts that are completely about them and their life and their choices. And sometimes, especially when they're really young, those lines can be really, really blurry. Um, I was immediately aware that if we were going to be talking about breaking gender stereotypes or anything like that, there's a level of kind of online vitriol that comes with that. Uh, and uh, opening him up to that uh, needed to be done with an enormous amount of consideration. Um, and you know, so we took a really, really long time to think about it. Um, and we are constantly thinking about it. We're constantly you know, in discussion with him and each other around what to share and what not to share. And, um, and there's many, many things where, like if you were just to think about likes and views and stuff, you're like, well, that would get a ton of views and that would get a bunch of followers and all those sorts of things. But is it healthy for him? Is it healthy for our family? Um, and even if it is healthy, do we want it? up there you know um and so it's really 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 important to have those conversations and uh you know when he like the first time he went onto social media sorry the first time i posted something with him on social media in a more public setting he was seven years old um and so he already kind of knew what some of these things were um and we also had to over-exaggerate everything. We're like, this might be seen by everybody in your class, everybody in the world, your teachers, like all your friends might see this you know, post we're about to do, which isn't really true, but just so that he could understand exactly kind of what we're getting into. And we still have those conversations now. Um, I think it's, you. Know, I, I absolutely no judgment on any parent sharing their stuff because you know, almost all parents do we just happen to have more people listening um, but I think it's important to involve them in those conversations uh, you know because there's some really beautiful things online there's some really gnarly things online too um, and you've got to be really really aware of it I'm unbelievably across it and aware of it and following everything you know looking at all research like he's not allowed to use social media yet um uh, he's not allowed to read a single comment he's not allowed to like we might watch some videos and stuff together but you know absolutely not being you know a part of that world just yet so um yeah yeah it's uh a lot of responsibility you know and sometimes you'll make decisions that are the wrong decisions and sometimes you make the right ones but that's just part of it
0: I think that's a great note to, to start to wrap up on. I think it is so important for people to hear. Now, at the end of all of my episodes, I do ask my guests a random question. My question for you is: What is the best kind of cheese?
1: Uh brie cheese. It is um, it is unbelievable. You, you can barely believe how good it is. It is. <laughs> it is the best cheese so brie cheese on like a like a fig cracker with salami and quince paste i like i was just at a friend's house and he knows that the instant he cracks out the cheese board i turn into a mouse uh i love cheese you know so uh but brie is the best full stop (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right, that brings this episode to a close. If you would like to check out Scott on social media, I will be leaving his Instagram and his TikTok if you would like to follow those pages. And of course, I'll be leaving his website as well, which brings you to all of his books and all of everything that he's got going on and including some various other media coverage that he's done and good things that he's got going on. So feel free to check all of that out. And if you'd like to connect with the podcast, our website is in the description as well. It brings you to all of our past episodes, all past resources, all past social media guests. And of course it brings brings you to our social media. So we are on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. So feel free to go follow those pages as well. And if you would like to support the podcast monetarily, a link to do that is in the description. And my email is also in the description if you would like to reach out and be a guest on the show. I always love having new guests. So thank you so much, Scott, for being here today. And to my listeners for taking the time out of your day to hear a new story. Until next time. Bye. See everybody. Bye.